Section 18 of the Early Hanoverians by Edward Ellis Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Book 2, Chapter 3, Jenkins' Ear. In spite of Walpole's love of peace and determined efforts to preserve it, in the year 1739, a war broke out with Spain, which is an illustration of the saying that the occasion of a war may be trifling, though its real cause be very serious. The war is often called the War of Jenkins' Ear. The story ran that eight years before, in 1731, a certain Captain Jenkins, skipper of the ship Rebecca of London, had been maltreated by the Spaniards. His ship was sailing from Jamaica and hanging about the entrance of the Gulf of Florida when it was boarded by the Spanish Coast Guard. The Spaniards could find no proof that Jenkins was smuggling, though they searched narrowly, and being angry at their ill success, they hanged him to the yard arm, lowering him just in time to save his life. At length they pulled off his ear and told him to take it to his king. To this Pope alludes in the couplet, and own the Spaniard did a waggish thing, who cropped our ears and sent them to the king. Much discredit has been thrown on this story. No less a man than Burke described it as a fable, and naturally the peace party wished that it should be so regarded. One writer says that when Jenkins died, it was found that his ear had never been cut off at all. Another says that it was in the pillory that Jenkins lost the ear, which he carried about with him wrapped in cotton wool. But it is quite certain that the story was given in the London newspapers of the day on the return of the Rebecca to that port. What is more extraordinary is that the story, when first told, made but little stir. Seven years later, Captain Jenkins was examined by the House of Commons, on which occasion some member asked him how he felt when being maltreated, and Jenkins answered, I recommended my soul to God and my cause to my country. The answer, whether made at the time or prepared for use in the House of Commons, touched a chord of sympathy, and soon was circulated to the country. No need of allies now, said one politician. The story of Jenkins will raise us volunteers. The truth of the matter is that this story, from its somewhat ridiculous aspect, has remained in the minds of men, but that it is only a specimen of many stories than afloat, all pointing to insolence of Spaniards in insisting upon what was, after all, strictly within their rights. But the legal treaty rights of Spain were growing intolerable to Englishmen, though not necessarily to the English government, and traders and sailors were breaking the international laws which practically stopped the expansion of England in the New World. The war arose out of a question of trade. In this, as in so many other cases, the English being prepared to fight in order to force an entrance for their trade, which the Spaniards wished to shut out from Spanish America. The question found a place amongst the other matters arranged by the Treaty of Utrecht, when the English obtained almost as their sole return for their victories what was known as the Asiento. This is a Spanish word meaning contract, but its use had been for some time confined to the disgraceful privilege of providing Spanish America with Negroes kidnapped from their homes in Africa. The Flemings, the Genoese, the Portuguese, and the French Guinea Company 
received in turn from Spanish kings the monopoly in this shameful traffic, which at the Treaty of Utrecht was passed on for a period of thirty years to England, now becoming mistress of the seas, and with her numerous merchant ships better able than others to carry on the business. The English government committed the contract to the South Sea Company, and the number of negroes to be supplied annually was no less than 4,800 sound, healthy, merchantable negroes, two-thirds to be male, none under ten or over forty years old. In the Asiento Treaty there was also a provision for the trading of one English ship each year with Spanish America, but in order to prevent too great advantage therefrom, it was carefully stipulated that the ship should not exceed six hundred tons burden. There is doubt that this stipulation was regularly violated by the English sending a ship of the required number of tons, but with its numerous tenders and smaller craft. Moreover, smuggling being very profitable became common. It was of this smuggling that Captain Jenkins was accused. The Spaniards, to stop the smuggling, exercised their undoubted right of search and put all whom they could prove to have smuggled into loathsome dungeons. There is little doubt that the Spanish sailors were often guilty of undue violence. By 1738, the year when Jenkins was examined in the House of Commons, all England was ringing with stories of atrocities. In various public places, sailors returned from captivity took up their station with specimens of the nasty food given to them in Spanish prisons. Doubtless the politicians that opposed Walpole and favored the idea of war aggravated the stories in themselves bad and not without foundation. Walpole, always anxious for peace by argument, by negotiations, by delays, resisted the growing desire for war. At length he could resist no longer. For the sake of his reputation he should have resigned office, but he had enjoyed power too long to be ready to yield it, and most unwisely he allowed himself to be forced into a declaration of war on October 19, 1739. The news was received throughout England with a perfect frenzy of delight. The church bells were ringing joyful peals, a strange use for church bells, and Walpole is said to have remarked, they may ring the bells now, before long they will be ringing their hands. A year and a day after this declaration of war, an event occurred, the death of the emperor, which helped to swell the volume of this war until it was merged into the European war called the War of the Austrian Succession, which includes within itself the First and Second Silesian Wars between Austria and Frederick the Great of Prussia. The European war went on until the general pacification in the Treaty of Aix-la-Chapelle, 1748. Within another ten years, war broke out again on somewhat similar grounds, but on a much wider scale, and with the combatants differently arranged under the title Seven Years' War. The events of this year, whilst the war was only between Spain and England, were the attacks on Spanish settlements in America the capture of Portobello, and the failure before Cartagena, which led to Anson's famous voyage. War being declared with Spain, the question remained in what way Spain should be attacked. There were two strongholds belonging to Spain between North and South America, Cartagena, the stronger, which is at the north of South America, 
and Portobello on the Isthmus of Panama. It was determined to make an attempt on each of these. Unfortunately, during the long peace, all the fighting machinery had been allowed to rust. Walpole had not acted on the principle, if you wish for peace, prepare for war, but in his zeal for economy had permitted the naval dockyards to fall into disorder, whilst all army arrangements were yet worse. One of these two places was not difficult to take. Admiral Vernon appeared before it with six ships, made assault, and the place was surrendered on the second day. This victory was very popular in England. There are still places in Great Britain called Portobello, which were named in the midst of the public joy, and the joy was increased by the following circumstance. In the heat of debate in Parliament, Vernon, a bluff and troublesome member, sitting on the opposition side, had said, Give me six ships and I will take the place. Many had thought this force insufficient and that he ought not to have been taken at his word, and it was supposed that the ministers wanted to be rid of him and rather hoped he would fail. But the far more important enterprise was the attempt on Cartagena, for which Vernon found that it would be necessary to have soldiers as well as ships. A very large force was therefore prepared, twenty-five ships of the line and eighty transports carrying about seven thousand soldiers and marines. But owing to the backwardness of preparations, this force was at least four months too late, and instead of leaving England at midsummer as had been designed, did not sail for the tropics until November. In addition, a small fleet was sent under Commodore Anson, with instructions to sail round Cape Horn, and to make attack on the Spanish possessions in Central America from the Pacific side, at the same time as Vernon from the Atlantic. Such a scheme required punctuality in its performance. Anson's voyage became famous in other ways, but it did not in any way coincide with the attack on Cartagena. The whole expedition was as unfortunate in its later issues as it was unpunctual in its commencement. The original commander-in-chief died on the voyage out, and the general who took his place was not only utterly unfit for command, but did not agree with Vernon. Far from cooperating, the general and Admiral Vernon were soon in open quarrel. In a spirit of pique, the latter maintained that his business was only to bring the soldiers to the place, theirs to take it. Meanwhile, the very climate was fighting against the English in the shape of drenching tropical rains, for the delays had brought them to the tropics at a wrong season. Within ten days from the disembarkation of the troops, and after one most desperate but perfectly hopeless attempt, the men were taken back to their transports. The mortality is something terrible to consider. In three days from the landing, the numbers were reduced from 6,645 to 3,200 effective men. To this must be added that the sick and wounded were most abominably tended. It happens that one who became in after days a famous English author, Tobias Smollett, was a surgeon's mate on board one of these ships. He has left an account of the whole expedition, but especially of this part, which concerned his own business, and he adds that because of the rancor between the chiefs, surgeons from the men-of-war were not permitted to attend the sick soldiers in the transports. It is certainly difficult to imagine such a desperate pass, or that if matters really reached such a state no punishment whatever should ensue. 
the Cartagena expedition was not only a complete, but a shameful failure. The war between England and Spain did not end until the Peace of Aix-la-Chapelle in 1748, but for the remainder of the time it was carried on in a very desultory manner. There was no more fitting out of great expeditions. It almost seemed as if the government on either side had no further concern in the matter. It became a war of privateers on both sides, at first with varying success, then with success inclining wholly to the English, who in one year took no less than six hundred prizes. A privateer is a ship fitted out by private individuals at their own expense, to which government gives permission to prey upon the commerce of the enemy. Such a permission is called letters of mark. Without them, a privateer would be a pirate. In conduct, many privateers were uncommonly like pirates. It may be permitted to add here that a privateer's war is the very worst kind of war. There is no patriotism in it, merely an individual desire for gain. The horrors of such a war fall chiefly upon non-combatants, upon merchant ships, not men of war. In modern times, it has been proposed in future wars to consider neutral all private property upon the sea. Perhaps the world is not ripe for such a measure of justice, but it is more and more felt that the distinction between combatants and non-combatants should be strictly preserved. End of section 18